Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, joined alongside, as always, with media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer in Syria, I expelt Sam Griswold. That was French. That was today, French. Today, yeah. today was not remotely Italian. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Ligue 1. Good. So uh, today on the show, hey, I'm excited about this, getting caught up with uh, him. It was a great conversation we had with uh, one of the true American voices in American soccer, Rob Stone. Um, I started following Rob right when he got out of college, and uh, boy, it's just been wonderful to watch his career. Um, he first at ESPN and now at Fox, and you know, guys, here on this show, we've uh, sung the praises of Fox because they really are truly giving an American voice to this game as the, you know, with their coverage. And Rob is, is really the linchpin with that coverage. So uh, it was great getting caught up with him and great kind of finding out, you know, he was, I knew he played at Colgate. He played a, you know, D one program, uh, but he was a player, man. I, yeah. I did a little due diligence on it and uh, the guy could play and uh, was, was apparently until he corrected us, the all-time leading assist leader, at Colgate. So uh, he had to let that one go. So that's going to affect his contributions to the alumni fund. I would imagine. Yeah. I love love Rob's combination of knowledge and breeziness. I always, when I watch him on air, there's just a very comfortable air about him, which I love. I mean, that's what I love about him is he's very smart at wanting soccer, but he's not, it doesn't appear he's sweating it. And he's very good at managing the people around him. I, yes, I like how he does. I like how he does so many different sports and he yeah. just jumps from one to the other kind of seamlessly. Cause yeah. I feel like often soccer seems like a totally separate ship, you know, off to the side. I, I like that. It is more part of the whole conversation. Well, that was, that was, skill. that was what was fascinating about our conversation with him because, you know, when I was back in those days, I remember, you know, Rob and I touched upon it. Um, where a guy would be doing soccer because he wanted to do basketball or he wanted Mm -hmm. to do football. And it was so annoying uh, that when I watched Rob come in, he was a soccer guy, but he's a journalist and a broadcaster. And, you know, we talked about his influence, you know, the influence that Bob Lee had on him. And, um, you know, I think it's, I'm, I enjoy Rob doing other sports as well, but I'm glad that, you know, he bleeds, uh, he bleeds soccer first, it seems. Mm-hmm. And and I think uh, that's good. So it's a really great conversation we have with Rob. I get to talk about a lot of things. So, uh, so stick around for that uh, conversation. So guys, before we get going on all the stuff we have to talk about, Champions League, EPL, Jordan Morris injury, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team, big uh, win yesterday against Argentina in the She Believes Cup. All right, whatever. And then uh, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Before we get going, Sam. Uh, yeah, I'll start. Uh, I'm over the the way ESPN seems to put the uh, only City A game they show on the actual cable network, ESPN two, at six thirty a.m. on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, I understand it's probably not a very coveted time slot. They want to fill it with something, but it, yeah. they they just always seem to leave out you know the best games of the weekend. It's not a problem for me. I still watch them, but I, I'd like more people to kind of be stumbling upon good games at two in the afternoon rather than six 30 in the morning. And uh, to grant walls point from last week about, you know, how we, there's not always like a lot of added coverage attached to games, whether pregame or postgame, you know, I'm so sick of seeing on the little bar on the bottom of the cable, you know, showing you what time the match starts, you know, it's like eight 59 to 11. Uh, and, you know, you turn on and you get 30 seconds of pregame before it starts. So, right. You know, let, let's try a little harder in my opinion. Right. We talked about that last week about how to learn who is out there and their backstories really, you know, lead to more sort of involved viewing. So yeah, uh, sure. All right. Grail, what do you got? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm over the debate about uh, VAR and whether or not it's good or not. I, I'm in the, firmly in the camp that it's been a, a huge advance forward. Um, case in point, uh, Giroud's goal mm -hmm. um, against Atletico was originally called offside. Play came up and uh, upon review, it showed that the defender played the ball and thus played Giroud onside. And it was the game winning goal in the 68th minute. So I'm not saying that's the only example of why VAR is working. But again, more often than not, it gets it right. And I think we've moved forward with the technology. Yeah, you know, it also puts people in their heads because that, that probably would have been a goal at other times. But when you have VAR, um, you just want to be safe. I don't know. I think it must affect the way referees make calls, knowing that there's VAR behind them. You don't want to make the wrong call, but if you do, that's there to protect you. And you know, well, and the I, linesman, you know, the linesman made the call, and he sees Giroud in an offside position. He couldn't possibly have seen the ball nick off the Atletico. The Atletico defenseman played it. It would have been impossible for him to see that in that right. case. So again, perfect case to go to VAR and get it right. And right away, Sam, he somehow figures out how to get no, Chelsea into the no, equation. No, no. It would, <laughs> but it was a great goal. I haven't seen it yet. I tried to see it. But yeah. it's interesting. Some of the, the games played across the pond uh, or overseas, when you try to pull it up on Twitter, they, they, they you can't see it domestically. So it's uh, sort of annoying. Oh, so I'll it might be it a rights issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. So, um, I, you know, I got nothing. I think, you know, one of the things I saw a guy about a month ago, I'm living in LA now, a guy driving the break, not the breakdown lane, but the, um, commuter lane. And he had a blow up doll in his car. And apparently, I don't know if it was the same guy, but somebody it's got pulled school. over. <laughs> somebody got pulled over yesterday in LA with a mannequin. Uh, and, uh, he, but the mannequin, I love it. He was wearing Fully dressed. He was wearing, no, he was wearing a disposable uh, mask, face mask, and a, and a Cleveland Indians hat. That must have been what tipped off the police. Because, like, who, you know, who's driving around L.A. with an Indians hat on? <laughs> so, That's funny. Um, very good. So, hey, so some, some tough news here domestically. Uh, Jordan Morris, it looks like he, you know, ACL injury, and which is just such a bummer. I was, you know, there's a kid who could have gone overseas early in his career, stayed in MLS, has really progressed as a player, as a national team player. Uh, looked like he was set for a you know a starting spot up there on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, goes to Swansea and and then injured pretty much right away. And it, it seems like it's not a good one. Um, yeah, and he gets. I think it's it? his second ACL injury, so right. he's obviously. I'm not going to say he's prone to it, but it's nothing new to him. Well, is it a re-injury or is it the other knee? You know? They just said in 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 the uh, the reporting that I did, which was reading accounts of it, they basically said it was his second uh acl they didn't indicate if it was the Which same one leg. right yeah. yeah but 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 still you know it just drives you crazy like oh what if he hadn't you know what if he hadn't been on loan to swansea well i mean it could have happened anywhere that's the uh, yeah. nature of these things right and he wanted to go we all want him to go there you got to go yeah. there you have to do that they would have been great and he would have you know been you know for some of the world cup qualifying it would have been great experience i don't but know the, it's, it's just a bummer it seems Olympics, like the olympic qualifying would see out of the question because like you know He's getting the surgery now. He's got at least eight months, I would think. Yeah, but you know, I don't, I don't know if he was on for the Olympic team anyway. Um, yeah. 
they go with the younger roster. So uh, yeah, so it's a bummer. So last night, the US, uh, US women's national team, six uh, nil against Argentina, the She Believes Cup. Uh, interesting. Argentina, <laughs> oh, man, they, they hadn't played in two years. It's just so bizarre. It's just so they're up ranked, and down. They're ranked number 31, and they look like they should be ranked number 61. But you know, this uh, is the thing you hear such like Argentina, like, whoa, they must be great, like the no. men's team, but it's just. Well, uh, you know, I mean, so the last four times the US have played Argentina, they've beaten them by a collective goal amount of 28 to one. Yeah. So that's, uh, you knew, you knew what they were in for. And, um, you know, the, the nice thing is, uh, for Andonovsky is that he got to play a lot of different people. So he got to look at a lot of different people and, uh, the Olympic rosters, uh, I think six spots smaller than the world cup roster. So he's got mm-hmm. some major trimming to do. It'll be very interesting uh, to say. I mean, it's just hard to draw conclusions, though, from a game that's that lopsided. Yeah, he had a young goalkeeper in there, too, who obviously doesn't get a look, really. Yeah. You get a look, but you don't get a look because there's no action. You know. But honestly, guys, that's my single biggest concern about the, the U.S. women's national team going into a major tournament is I, I have no idea if, if their goalkeepers can stop the ball. Because they're never actually called upon to stop the ball. So I don't know. That's a good problem to have. I think. No, I know. But I'm just saying, you know, in a pinch when they will be in situations playing the better teams where they're going to have shots, they had no shots on goal in last night's game. Well, look, I mean, you, you look at the men's national team. We watch these guys play themselves into a position where the coach can make a choice about it. I think more with the women, obviously almost wholesale with the women is that your position is grabbed in practice because the best players you're going against are in the inner squad scrimmages. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're, you know, I remember hearing a, a friend of mine wrestled for Iowa and, you know, Dan Gable. And it was like, he said, if you got out of your weight class in the school, you were going to win your match, whoever else you were playing. Cause those guys were that good. And I feel that way about the, U.S. women's team that the best competition is in practice with each other, and I mm-hmm. think that that's a way, almost like in a college program, where a coach can pick the team in preseason by watching how well everybody's playing. So, yeah. So other stuff going on. Uh, well, you know, let's go back a little bit to that to the women's stuff. The, we were talking about it before we got on air about the criticism is different for women's soccer. Um, do you think that broadcasters sort of tiptoe around? Uh, criticizing um but like like even like like for instance uh you know if you could say uh, we were talking before the show about you know a player that was out of shape and overweight uh you would say that about a men's player but you'd probably be really in your head about saying it about a women's player mm-hmm. um you'd probably have to find different adjectives or i, I don't know yeah, what are your I thoughts think, on that I, I think issues of fitness technique decision making mm-hmm. um there there seems to be a slightly different um way to describe that and it's almost like when you're listening to the commentary you can hear the cogs moving in people's heads right about what what they should say or not say and uh you know to me if somebody misses an easy chance you know if it was a guy they said oh my goodness he should have done better they should say the exact same thing about the woman because that's just what happened and i i think we're going to get there but i think things will not things will be equal more quickly if we start judging and talking about it the exact same way. It seems like it's a bad time though, because there's the cancel culture going on right now and heightened criticism for, you know, something someone said 14 years ago, uh, you know, like, like, you know, I was watching with the Letterman Drew Barrymore thing. They're like, or or no, with Lindsay Lohan, apparently 
14 years ago, he said something. I watched it. It didn't seem so bad, but I guess in hindsight, you wouldn't have said it again, but yeah. uh, you know, that the cancel culture jumps in. So I think all of us get in our heads a little bit. I, I was, mm -hmm. you know, watching the game, a lot of giveaways and they never mentioned it. A lot of giveaways lot where, of, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we Alexander Arnold with the giveaways at Liverpool, it's mentioned and it's like, yeah. wow, he's having a nightmare out there. Well, I mean, you know? Alex Morgan missed a header from four yards out straight onto the goal with the keeper just standing there and it didn't matter. So there was no reason to make right. a big point of it, but it should have been like, oh my goodness, she should have buried that. That's it. I mean, that's not being overly critical. That's just saying what just happened. Right. Right, exactly. Instead of like nice try, which I think kind of comes out sometimes, which again, to me, is more condescending to women than saying what honestly just took place. Right. I think the next progression, the next part of it is, yeah, you need to be critical. It, it's the yeah. way it is. I think a little, you know, we're a lot of players are spoiled sometimes where there's they're faced no criticism, really harsh criticism. Mm -hmm. Even we said that it's about Jurgen Klinsmann. It was like in any other country with the results that he had, he would have been grilled over and over. But here he had almost a free pass because like, hey, it's Jurgen. It's like, yeah, but we all seem to be in disarray and we're not winning. And what's happening? That's Jurgen. Just in Jurgen, we trust. And and there should have been more criticism of him. I, you know, in hindsight, you really Jurgen. I love it. <laughs> Jurgen. I'm still talking about Jurgen. Flinty so. Jurgen. Flinty still. Jurgen's in your nightmares. Uh, I think, well, yeah. it's just such a, a black stain on our, in our nation's soccer history. Yeah, just I think. Not cool. I think why this is, you know, one of the reasons why this is so uncomfortable to talk about is, first of all, you know, we're three white guys here, so you know, right. it's uh, it's not like we've had to deal with a ton of the stuff we discuss, but. You know, you are providing fuel for the fire that some people will jump on. And it's mm -hmm. not it's not fair necessarily that you have to consider that. But if you if you remember the a few weeks back or maybe a month ago, there was a big to do in England because uh, the Leeds United official Twitter account criticized a female reporter for a comment that she had made. They put out a tweet that, that was not, in my opinion, you know, uncalled for. They were basically just sort of asking for clarification about something that she'd said and questioning something that she'd said, which, you know, I think is okay, but That's legit. Sure. But inevitably, you know, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of commenters, you know, are then telling her to, you know, get back in the kitchen and, you know, they, yeah. they started the, the kind of fire as it were, mm -hmm. but so it, it's, it's really difficult. It's really tricky. I don't. And I just yeah, think yeah, talking yeah. honestly about it is the best prescription, right? Sunlight is the best yeah. remedy. Just put it out there. And again, we all love the women's game. I want the women's game to get on equal footing ASAP, mm -hmm. but then we have to judge them the exact same way. That's not being overly critical. That's giving them their due. Mm -hmm. But I think, Kevin, to your point, like soccer in this country as a whole has sort of uh, had to deal with that, you know, both right. men's and women's, because you didn't want to be overly critical of MLS in the very beginning, because, you know, everyone else was already dumping on it. You know, you didn't, didn't want to succeed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a balance you got to kind of yep. get to, I guess. Well, you know, I, I was actually you know reading Soccer America this morning and uh, they were they were critical. I, was, I said I wanted to see what Soccer America said about um the giveaways and how players play because even in a blowout like that when you're totally out they're a totally outmatched argentina uh you can tell who's playing well and who, or who's played well and there were a lot of giveaways and they did mention that in their yeah uh, mike you know, mike waitala is always very very honest and i really appreciate that his ratings are just right down the line straight very fair right. well, someone plays so you know with a blowout like that six zip you'd expect all high marks from everybody but they they, they weren't clinical uh, and yeah. so, so, you know, 
So I think that's good. This is a good place to be. Exactly. Champions League, guys, uh, you had to be over the moon, Grail, with Chelsea's win with that. Uh... Well, yeah, I'm going to give this very top line uh, <laughs> So because I, I don't want to catch too much grief. But yeah, I mean, I'll just say that. So Giroud, bicycle kick, 68th minute. And again, you know me. I mean, I'm such a I'm such an unabashed fan of Giroud. And I think he's maybe the most underappreciated. Uh, and Both under, you and I all along have an underrated you know, yeah. striker in the world, frankly. Yeah. And, um, and, and all I kept thinking was not only is there not another player on the Chelsea squad who could have done that, there's maybe four or five players in the world that could have done what he did. And, uh, you know, as the game winning goal in the 68th minute and in traffic and stuff to have the technique to do that, it was it was just fantastic. He's a he's a big boy too, so his hold up Huge. play is good. He does a lot of stuff off the ball. Hey, right there, there is. I, yeah. I couldn't say she's a big girl. Uh, that would yeah. be that'd get me in trouble with my girlfriend as well. So uh, there you have a prime example. So it's interesting too, Grail. Uh, you're watching Chelsea play. Um, I thought uh, Pulisic he had been really linking up well with uh, Giroud earlier in the season when he was playing. And they had a good, good symbiotical relationship there. Yeah. And now Pulisic on the outs, it seems. And there's even talk of him going. in the 85th minute, you know, which is. Yeah. It's just, it's garbage time. I just like, yeah, suck it up and make the best of it. But it's not, it's not a good situation for him at the moment. But, you know, things can change. Guys get injured. You know, look at Liverpool. It's like a mash unit in the Liverpool uh, locker room. (laughs) Um, I mean, it it just, it can change. And I've got to say Pulisic's attitude to me strikes me as really good. And and I think there's that 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 opening's going to happen for him. He's going to yeah, but there's also talk of him going back to Germany with with Bayern maybe. So I don't know if that would be a better move. But he's certainly got to get his minutes in. But got play as we go towards World Cup qualifying. You know, yeah. so uh, other games, uh, Bayern and Lazio. Boy, Bayern uh, just looked like Bayern. I mean, Bayern's been yeah. a little bit off the boil lately, but they looked like it was like okay, Champions League. Now we're going to be serious, and they just kind of. You know, they just dismembered Lazio. I mean, and Man City over Gladbach. I mean, they're just cruising, Man City. Yeah, they they um they looked like it was no stress. I swear to God, I was watching that game, and it was just like, first of all, their substitutes, you know, could have been the best second team in the world, and De Bruyne didn't even play, and um, you know, Silva and and Jesus scored. I mean, again, right now they're just rock solid in the back and they're but they and Bayern you would have to say right now are the clear-cut favorites yeah I, Sam, you, on, you the, on the Bayern yeah. game I I watched this you know pretty superficially but I mean Lazio were awful I mean yeah, they, they were basically gift wrapped three goals with, yeah you know trying to play out of the back and you know D- some I, bad defensive mistakes yeah I yeah I was more expecting a kind of traditional Italian performance in this one where Lazio were really going to just hunker down and defend but they seemed a little too wedded to their their style and uh, I I think Bayern are good obviously yeah. but I think this also had a lot to do with Lazio's play and then um yeah Atalanta or uh sorry Atalanta Real the next day mm-hmm. um was a bit disappointed that's actually the mm-hmm. only matchup I really care about um and uh, a tough red card in this one early on for uh Freuler of Atalanta it was tight it was a tight call I couldn't have seen it going going either way though Sam yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a, he was. It was a hip check. It was a hip check. No, it was a foul, and it was, you yeah. know, he's technically the last man, and uh, the yeah. guy was going to be in the box with probably a chance to score. But it's just, 
it's so different to me than, you know, tackling a guy or like these tactical fouls that are so brazen. Um, And that early in a game and considering it's a, it's a two leg thing, you know, you're you're making it all anti-climatic. He was also Sam, he was also off to the side of the box a little bit. So he did have to, he did have to cut in. It wasn't like it was just him off to the races right down the middle and a guy grabbed his shirt and pulled him down. Right. He made a very physical challenge on him. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, again, I thought it was one of those things that could have gone either way. It was a bold call, third minute. All right, so some big news, uh, Graham. This falls squarely in your uh, wheelhouse. This CBS Viacom, uh, Paramount Plus, uh, they launched yesterday, or I don't know if they launched, but they had their uh, they rebranded. investor meeting. Yeah. Well, you know, so Paramount Plus is the new name for CBS All Access, but talk about the amount of games they have and the games they have. Yeah, so they just, um, so all their streaming games, soccer games, are going to go on to Paramount Plus, and they just struck new deals with CONCACAF, uh, Brazil, and Argentina to stream their uh, league games. So, you know, the name of the game in these streaming services is content. And you, you can never have enough. And by the way, the great thing about the platform is it can hold an, an, an infinite amount of content. So it's not like a channel, TV channel, where you have to program around you know, 24 hours and then maybe do reruns or whatever. Right. You can have just everything on the service. I mean, just, so, it's all about it's all about content, right? So just, it's just, all about content, and it's a huge play for CBS. Um, and and obviously a lot of their Champions League games and all of that stuff, uh, Europa League and stuff is are going to go on to that. Uh, men's World Cup well. qualifying in 2022. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's they're doubling down. I mean, when I saw that they signed the deals with Concacaf Brazil and Argentina, I'm like, whoa, they're like two feet in on yeah. soccer now, and uh, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting to have another player. You know, it's always so interesting, though, like it just seems to be soccer in a way where like we're watching ESPN, all our soccer on ESPN. And then all of a sudden we're watching all our soccer on Fox. And then all of a sudden we're watching all our soccer on NBC. And then we're watching it on TNT. And then we're watching it now. We're watching it on CBS. So it, it just seems to me like the NFL football package has been consistently on a certain channel for years. And you know, the studio people, if, uh, yeah, but when it comes up for renewal, Flinny, that could change. I mean, Amazon could come in and make a preemptive bid and, and get a bunch of those games. So again, it's all about the rights issues. It's, you know, then the other thing is once you pay, paid these massive rights to get this sport, you need to get, make the money back. Right, right. You know, and that's what ESPN got into a little bit of a box there a few years ago where they were playing huge fees for the NBA and for uh, other sports and uh, and it was hard to monetize. So, well, you talk about that a little bit because I had heard classically it was they're saying live events are the way to go because they were sort of filling the day with all those talk shows and they were getting in trouble with that stuff. They're cheap to produce, but also it's controversial and people like, I want to watch sports. So really to draw people to your channel, it had to be a live event. So they paid a lot for the live events, but this whole streaming service has sort of changed that. Right. It it seemed like it was sort of dovetailing, you know, moving into another direction. Well, but again, remember you're, you're paying for ESPN indirectly on your cable system, but you probably don't even know that you're paying $9 a month for it. Right. With streaming services, it just became another revenue stream where it's like for five ninety nine you can get all for five ninety a month you can get all this, right? And that and that's what the change was. It became a paid subscription service, and that's the direction that everything is going in. Because again, 
the platform can can hold as much content as possible. And right. so if you're the consumer, you're like, shit, I'm getting all this stuff. Even if you don't watch one tenth of it, you're thinking like, hey, I'm, I'm paying $5.99 and I got this much stuff if I want it. Right. So. Right. Hey, Sam, I had an interesting little article there about the Inter Miami is suing. No, Inter Milan is suing Inter Miami for branding rights. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So this rebranding. Is, this has been ongoing for uh, a while. I mean, to to you know make it as simple as possible. Uh, Inter Milan don't want Inter Miami to be able to use the word Inter on you know me. merchandising and branding. And uh, Inter actually a while back, preemptively before Inter Miami was even named, they filed a trademark just for the term Inter in the United States, because obviously they see it as a market they they want to get into. Um, and anyway, there's this been this long legal battle going uh, back and forth. And, you know, why it's really interesting to the soccer world here to especially legal experts is, you know, if Inter Milan do prevail, you know, the idea is like, well, then does sporting, you know, Lisbon football club, football yeah, club. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do all, does Man United have the right to the word United um, and whatnot? And uh, it seems so broad. it's, yeah. It's, so it's, it's interesting to keep an eye on. I mean, the, the article, which was in the New York times at points out, you know, this, this all could have been avoided by not using, uh, you know, European sounding names uh, and just kind of sticking with the names, the MLS clubs, originally had. Um, and there was a another article in The Guardian this week that I thought was interesting, talking about how many MLS clubs have been doing these rebrands, changing mm -hmm. their names, changing their crest, whatever. Um, and it talks a little bit about the history. It's kind of funny because, you know, it talks about how the crest used to have like a soccer ball in it. But, you know, 25 years later, you know, people don't need a soccer ball to recognize a yeah. soccer jersey. So, you know, it has to do with the, the the growth of the game here for sure. But a lot of fans are unhappy about it. You know, they're like, well, this is, you know, it might, it might, we might not have a hundred year history, but we got 20 year history. You know, why, yeah, why do we here. need to go, uh, you know, try to pretend like we're some authentic old European thing? So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if I really have an opinion on this, but I wonder what your guys' take is. Do you, do you think it's a little cheesy to just be stealing these names? Or, I mean, was Kansas City Wizards cheesy? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Go ahead, girl. Both. No, I just say, I, you know, I'm more of a traditionalist, which wouldn't surprise you guys. But also, it's ultimately, it's all about merchandising. And marketing, it's, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's all about what you can sell. And if you think you can sell more shirts, bottles, whatever, with a certain logo or a certain name, you're, I mean, you're going to go in that direction because you got to make money. And uh, that's mercenary. And uh, sometimes it's like, you know, why the hell did they do that? But, you know, it's no different than doing, a, you know, the Rangers doing a third jersey or something You also like find that. out what works. The Red Sox well, used to be the Braves. Changing right? a name is quite different than just yeah but the red sox used to be the boston braves and i mean the, yeah. the baltimore colts used to be you know it's like it goes on and on even in our own sports history but, but i but yeah. i do think sam too sometimes going to a more traditional name again this is my own opinion elevates the status a, a little bit i find mm -hmm. some of those old names a little gimmicky just for me and but yeah. again that's me i'm coming at it from a pure standpoint so this the uh, and sam to go back to to inter milan uh, you know with your italian i'm assuming it's means it's international right inter yeah inter it's short for internazionale which right. you know, so, inter miami is too international yeah uh, so you play uh, you know across the, the pond and across the world i think it's really bold by inter milan frankly to add yeah, it really is. they own the word inter or it'd be like <laughs> 
somebody <laughs> saying, well, hey, we own United. Hey, we own FC. Hey, we own any other word that's cobbled together. Well, that's the you point. Know. That's the point that the author's yeah. making is if yeah. they do win this lawsuit, you know, what's next? Yeah. Right. Well, it's funny. Champagne can only be called champagne if it's from the Champagne region of France. They sued for that, but I get that. Um, Sam, you know. is there any backstory between Inter and Beckham? I I, I don't know. Is there anything that, that no? So Inter Milan filed this, you know, for the patent for this term. Uh, right. I think in 2014. So okay. it was well before the the team was even named. In my I got you. Okay. Because they all want in the U.S. market, guys. I mean, that's that's sure. part of it. You know, you yeah, want to get the Chinese sure. market and the and the American market because they're big markets. So they yep. see it as. Uh, you know, uh, money. Like you say, Grail, it always comes back to money. So yeah, I kind of like the the club de foot Mont Montreal, though. I like that change, Sam, yeah. because it brings in the French Canadian thing a little bit more. To me, that's actually almost like a cultural decision, which I like a lot better than the Montreal Impact. I mean, I'm like, what? Right. What is yeah. that? But look, look. I think this game is international. It is. Yeah. It's truly is. American football is not. Uh, baseball really isn't uh, basketball mm -hmm. is on a certain level like that that translates yeah. well in other countries but this is truly an international sport so I think it's it's good we get the flavor for that and the feel for that although of course we complain when it's in the broadcasting booth it's uh if it's all foreign and it's not American <laughs> so we talked to Rob about that so guys mm -hmm. let's take a break here uh great interview with Rob Stone coming up uh you know like you said the grail just uh a, a great face of American soccer there just uh, knows the game, uh, gives it its due, has a real journalistic approach to it. And, um, you know, he's the traffic cop with uh, all the talent that that he's worked with over the years. So uh, so stick around. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, our interview with Rob Stone from Fox. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he is, I believe, the uh, the most consistent face and voice in this game on uh, all levels uh, here in the States for a long, long time. He's the studio host for sock, uh, Fox Soccer Coverage. And uh, before that, he was at ESPN. And before that, a lot of people don't know this because he's a very, uh, very humble young man. He was a standout player at Colgate University, the all-time leading assist uh, getter there uh, and a man who has to deal with uh, the chaotic ramblings of Lexi Lawless on an almost daily basis. We know him. We love him. Rob Stone, welcome back to Over the Ball. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. No longer the all-time assist leader, by the way. Oh, what? Man, I'm so sorry. Somebody spiked <laughs> that from me. That's all right. That's all right. Really? You're you kidding me. You should have decapped him. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I played back in the 1900s, so uh, it's bound that somebody's going to surpass my measly total of assists. Well, we had 15 we saw, and we said we were trying to add it that's, up. But it, you that's were, a season. No, that's, that's, that's a career. That's a game for Messi, I guess. Yeah, but for us, that was. Uh, I'd be. I would have been very happy with 15 career assists at UMass. So, uh, but you know, you came out of college, and I think you started covering soccer pretty much right away. I think you were just at the advent of MLS. What a ride you have had. What a journey, ups and downs. Yeah, and, uh, yeah you know, it's ground floor, right? If not yeah. if not like parking P3, like below ground floor, like way, <laughs> yeah. way down, circling and circling. Um, yeah, when I got out of college, there was no MLS. There was <clears throat> really no national soccer conversation outside of 
you know, this, this oddity that was the World Cup and all of these crazy people in the Italian part of New York going bonkers and who are these South Americans? <laughs> there was just no, there was no kind of comprehensive soccer intelligence out there uh, that was quote unquote mainstream. It was all very localized and provincial. And, um, you know, I got my start at ESPN behind the scenes and, and there is where I kind of made some inroads with people in the business who also were doing soccer. Um, and it was such a low priority that they would actually listen to somebody who cared about the sport and right. watched it and gave some two cents like, hey, that that looked pretty cool. Or I, you know, help me understand why the cameras are at that angle and not at this angle. And boy, I think it'd be better if we we did some of this stuff. It's not like they they said, hey, Rob Stone is the brain trust of our soccer coverage, but they at least were kind enough to listen to me and they remembered that I cared about the sport, that I played the sport, that I love the sport. And then right. years later, and I think it was 96, back at ESPN um, in front of the camera, an, an opening came up and, you know, I, they called me out of nowhere because of an old contact. And I was trying to do the nightly sports show down in Tampa. And they're like, you're hired. And I'm like, I'm hired <laughs> what? what? And they're like, we need a tape, but you're, you're hired. Um, and and because the talent pool for soccer people that knew how to do television was so small yeah. that, you know, I, I was, I might've been it, you know? Um, so boom, away, away I went and it allowed me the timing to, you know, make mistakes, sort things out, make contacts and kind of become that, that early voice in, in American soccer without a lot of competition. I mean, there just weren't many of us. It was, you know, I would look up to Bob Lee and Seamus Mallon and Ty Keo and yeah. I'm like, cool, I get to go out to dinner with these guys and pick their brains about things. And, and yeah, they, were, they, they were stars to us, you know, those guys, 100%, uh, yeah. Bob Lee, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. But, you know, also thinking about the learning curve with what you, you go through, um, it's probably a good way in hindsight, right, to, to learn with low priority because you're sort of sort of inventing the wheel there. You're learning, you're getting your own game together to figure out how to do this without all the high pressure of doing a national broadcast right out of the gate or something, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was A, a different time, and B, that sport at that time where it was very under the radar. You know, um, a lot of bosses were like, listen, just it's a two-hour show. Don't dip the black. Don't swear. You know, don't don't light something on fire. Just get on <laughs> and get off, right? And, and right. that's what it was. And if you didn't screw things up, and you slowly got better and, and maybe were able to dip your toes into another sport to help them out because there was only so many soccer broadcasts out there right. um, that it, it was a nice little way, a nice entrance um, into, you know, the grind of a national type, type media. And again, like we mentioned, we were a small, very small, almost like a startup fraternity where we all got along and like, hey, we're all in this fight together. And that included you know, when MLS started, you know, we were an MLS partner. Okay, let's, uh, let's figure this thing out together and let's make mistakes together, but let's not hurt each other. You know, we're, we're all in this to win it. And, and that's, that's kind of neat about the soccer community. It's certainly grown, but it's still, it's still very kumbaya-esque in the sense of totally. those that, that are doing the good, the good work for the sport are, are still in it together and are still looking out for each other. Yeah, there's that passion that's there. But I remember when you were hired, I was, I was really happy that there was an American voice there. And then when I heard you sort of talk about the game, I knew you had played. And that for soccer enthusiasts, that's really, that was a big deal. I think, yeah. you know, we did have Bob Lee's voice, but Bob was known for so many other things as well. 
that I thought like, okay, here's a new generation uh, of, of people coming up. And the funny thing is, Rob, you know, I was not a broadcaster and I was, I would do sort of man in the street type stories for ESPN back in the day. And then you had to do something one time and you watch someone like you, you know, do what you do. And you think, oh, I, I could probably do that. And then they threw me into your role one day, I think at Giant Stadium. And I was like completely overwhelmed. It's like, oh my God, this, you know, like we we're talking about before the show started, you know, fingers pointing this way and doing this way and wrap it up. I was like, oh my God, this is a real profession. And that's why, um, you know, I looked at it with different eyes after I had done that before you, I filled in for you one time. It was like, wow, this, this is a lot harder than it looks. And um, so you've done a great job. And I also love the commitment because you've done it consistently for years now. And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I mentioned the American voice, but also there's a lot of back and forth. And most of the voices are foreign, you know, foreign accents anyway. And I think this has been, when you get, we had Fox, when you had more games every, and we used to talk about it on the show all the time, you guys are really giving the American voice a shot there. And it, it made a difference. I, I, you had to be very proud of that. Yeah, you know, and I think that's also a Fox priority. Um, you know, we are an American outlet and we are covering the American game from an American angle. And I think we're, we're, we're getting to that point now where it's, if you don't have an accent, it's okay. Um, yeah. But in, in the past, it, you had to have an accent to be associated with soccer. I mean, you would see it, um, on the fields, you know, parents would entrust their kids with coaches because they had an accent. Oh, he, he, he grew he's up got in Scotland. He must know what he's doing. What a great coach. Why? Why, why is that guy better than, than this woman or this man? And, and a lot of times it was the accent. And it's the same with commentators. Oh, my God, he has an accent. He must know what he's doing. And this poor bloke who's, you know, from you know, uh, outside Westchester area, you know, or upstate New York or did this, what does he know about the sport? That's bull. Um, and that's right. something that really, really pees me off. And, and that's no disrespect to the people who have accents, but who's to say that a, an American can't have a voice and can't have intelligence around this sport. So um, I think it's, it, it's something that Fox fights for. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that, you know, I'm, I'm a voice from my country talking about it from, from my perspective um, and that it's accepted now. Right. Right. So, and so Sam, you were talking about uh, before you got on about just the different influences of different sports, you know, because I like, look, a lot of the guys you're talking about with and women that have the accents, we know them and we're friends with them and no, no beef with that. But the fact that an American voice can be, legitimate I, you know we talked about on this show a lot about bob bradley how he was treated over in england i mean yeah. he's a great world-class coach and yet they they looked down on him because he didn't uh wasn't english you know so um but americans do broadcasting better than anyone else so uh, do you feel oh, we like, do do we yeah i think I so I, I, I mean i i love listening to sports broadcasts <laughs> of, of other sports and, and soccer but it's it's just different models you know it's it's different setups you know we've done a couple of world cups now where we'll have um, analysts from other countries join us and particularly our, our friends from England. And they're always like, what's, what's going on? Like how you, how, you know, what are all these commercial breaks? I'm like, well, we, we have to pay for you. And, uh, and that very expensive bottle of wine you ordered for dinner on our boss's company card. Um, you know, we, we've got things and, and they're, they're so used to like, it's halftime and we talk for 12 to 15 minutes. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. 
we don't do that here. So, so take, take this foot long sandwich and, and chump it down to like a three inch, six incher and, and get your good stuff in. And then let's, let's move on. Um, so it's different dynamics and they're always intrigued by it and kind of eventually come to like it right. um, most of the time. Uh, and it's just who we are in American television. It's, it's, you got to get your sponsors in, you got to get your commercials in. It's not a gab fest. And frankly, our viewership doesn't really enjoy that. Uh, would they like us to lengthen things out a little bit more here and there? Probably, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, but we're also very bite-sized um, these days. Right, that's what I was going to say. When someone's giving information and it's in a nice bite-sized nugget, it's like that that works and that's American television. Uh, Sam? Yeah, Rob, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, we talk a lot on the show about kind of finding our, our own soccer culture here, whether that's on the field or broadcasting. And obviously we look to the English game pretty heavily for that. But um, I'm curious, you know, coming up when you did as a broadcaster, you know, I assume you sort of knew what a baseball game sounded like on TV, a football game. And, you know, we just didn't have that back then. We didn't know really what a soccer game was supposed to even look like or sound like on TV. And, you know, was that an advantage in some way or did you, were you kind of starting from scratch? I actually think it was a bit of a disadvantage because um, it's so much easier to broadcast events that are big and loud. You just have to do less lifting, right? So any, any EPL game essentially is essentially easier than a majority of MLS games because there is crowd and atmosphere and tradition and history um, and hate and love built in immediately. And you don't have to talk all the time. But in the early days of MLS, when you're doing uh, the Dallas Bird and the KC Wiz at the Cotton Bowl at noon Eastern <laughs> um, in August, you know, you're, you're struggling because the, the players are are hot and exhausted at kickoff. Yeah. The crowd is trying to find the shade. Um, the kids are in the concourse. It's It was tough. Um, it was tough to do and it was tough to sell, right? Like if you watch a game and nobody's there, you're saying to yourself, well, why should I care? Because clearly people in that community or that sport or whatever, they don't care enough um, for things to happen. So I, I, I think it's more of a challenge. Um, like calling MLS games now, and I've said this before, like I'm, I'm jealous of John Strong because he gets to call MLS games when there is actual atmosphere and adversity and history and passion in the stands. And right. we've got a Seattle, Portland, you know, back when I was calling games for MLS, like Seattle, Portland, weren't even in the league. We weren't even thinking about them. It was Metro stars and, oh, thank God, DC United, right? Thank God it's a DC United game because <laughs> They got the Mara Brava and they've got the Screaming Eagles and, and they bring something to it. Um, now, you know, you go from market to market to market in MLS and you're saying to yourself, all right, this is a pretty good atmosphere. This is this is going to be all right. Yeah, there's a few we, we probably still steer away from, but it's, it's a different <laughs> entity that, to your point, is growing and maturing. Um, and they definitely obviously steal, borrow um, some elements from overseas, but I also think it it is... It is uniquely American with a couple of the um, effects of it and, and how they go about it. And, and those are the places that like I, I get a smile right now that, that make me so happy to go to, you know, seeing in Atlanta thrive um, in, a, in a part of our country that was never known for soccer, you know, right. and I, I lived in the South and I love the South. And I just said, it's, it's not going to happen here. Like Atlanta's a bad sports town. The Braves are constantly in the World Series and people don't care. And you know, the Falcons are an afterthought and 
you know, hockey leaves and who are the Hawks? And then you go to these Atlanta United games and you're going, holy shit, it's working here. It's, it's now, um, you know, the, it's now the, the king of the hill and it's now every franchise is chasing Atlanta after just being a couple months on the map. Um, that, that uh, is, are those things that really put a big smile on my face. Yeah, those milestones that we can all be very happy about that uh, weren't the norm in the United States. Uh, Grail? Yeah, Rob, this is a pretty easy one. I'm just curious what your most memorable on-air soccer moment is. It can be good, bad, weird, whatever whatever comes to mind, just like, oh my God. I've, I've gotten some of those lately and, and I'm so thankful that there's too many to count. There's not just that, that one moment of- Or just one, a couple maybe. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, I, I got to be in the stands uh, for the 99 Women's World Cup. Like I literally snuck into the Rose Bowl. I, I covered the third place game and yet I didn't have a place in the Rose Bowl for the championship game that day because remember it was a double header. And I can't remember how, but I basically snuck in. I was on the top row of the Rose Bowl um, able to take in this chaos and then work my way back down and, you know, interviewing Brandy and, and Mia after the game was, was pretty surreal. The 98 world cup, just working it was amazing. Seeing the implosion and being there firsthand for the U S implosion under Samson was pretty trippy. Um, mm -hmm. being in Paris when Ronaldo is not on the starting list and then he does appear on the starting list and, and my boss is yelling at me to figure out what the hell is going on. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in the third <laughs> level of the stadium. You know, I, I, I don't speak French or Portuguese. I have no access to anybody but the fans around me. Like I, I'll try my best. Um, you know, the U S being awarded the 2026 world cup uh, with Canada and Mexico was a pretty, pretty surreal moment finding out live and, and, and covering it and knowing what that, that meant and still means for soccer in our country. Um, was was really awesome being there for the the women's world cup wins um watching the u.s victory over portugal um at some ungodly hour at a studio in north carolina and 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 seeing the fan reaction um pre-breakfast hours uh that was kind of that moment of oh my god we're here we're we're, we're a legit entity right now and and no one's stopping this train. Um, so many more, so many mm -hmm. more. I'm leaving some out and I feel horrible, but those are the ones that are oh, just yeah. cool. That's a good job, man. You listed a lot. That was a lot more than I could. Yeah, yeah more than one, right? Yeah, exactly. Sam? Uh, yeah, we were talking earlier about your, your college career and I'm curious how closely you still follow the NCAA soccer world and you know what you think, I, I think we kind of think on this show, it's sort of an underutilized resource and 100%. What, you, what you think about it from a playing standpoint, also from a broadcasting yeah, standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's near and dear to me. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing part of, of my history and my background and um, I love what it provided me. I love what it provided my teammates, um, my brothers in arms still. I, I still get a gazillion texts and emails and phone calls from all my teammates and that'll never change. Um, and I think it is the most undervalued sporting property in America right now. Um, mm -hmm. People love to take pot shots at, at collegiate men's soccer. We all know the value of it on the women's side, although that's even being diminished lately. But on the men's side, people are like, ah, they don't, they got too many subs and they, their season is too short and it doesn't match up with this and that. And, you know, these guys are never as good. And it pisses me off because yeah. you look at every single successful MLS team 
you can go down that roster and go, that dude played at Syracuse University. That dude played at UCLA. That dude played at Virginia. That dude uh, played at Colgate. We got a Colgate um, guy in, in MLS. So it's a necessary component of success and people mature and age at different rates. And some, not everybody is, is European bound at 13 or 14 or 15. Guess what? A lot of dudes mature in the 18s, 19s, 20s, 21s, and can still provide a lot for you. Um, not just domestically, but internationally as well. Um, and people need to grow and mature and, and college is a great place to do it. You know, I, I wonder what Freddie Adu would have been like, had he gone to college even for one year. Um, right. You know, I, I think looking back, he probably, you know, look, those paydays were pretty good from uh, Sierra Mist and MLS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and Nike, but, you know, I wonder what a, a year in, in a collegiate institution would have done for him at this moment in his life. So I think it's, it's absolutely integral. It, it keeps going. I also think it's important for college soccer to grow and kind of catch up with the time. Like, hey, let's give these guys a more of a legit season because they want it. The coaches right. want it. The players want it. Um, everybody wants it. Um, you know, give them more time together. And and they are slowly cranking cranking that wheel. You know, Sasha Sarovsky at Maryland has been so integral in that. And, and he has fought yeah. the good fight for so, so long. And um, I hope he doesn't give up on it because he's, he's really close to getting it to where the majority of people really want it at, but it is, it is vital to the strength of American men's soccer still. And they were about a month away from a vote for that split season. And we were looking forward to it. Sasha has been on the show a, a bunch of times and um, yeah, I think it'll make a big difference. If the NCAA gets on board and sees this as a, again, a sport, not just of the future, but of the present, because yeah. it, it is underutilized. It, it really is. Um, you know, big, uh, you know, friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, and he's on the show occasionally, though he's retired, is Bob Lee. And he speaks very, very highly of you. What was it like working with him, uh, you know, coming out of the gate at ESPN? Because he was, he was the sort of American face uh, before you. Yeah, you know? it, it, but he was just so respected in the industry, not in the right. soccer industry, just the industry. And if Bob lent his voice and face to something, it was legit. And he clearly did it because he, he loved it. He had a passion for it. He didn't need to add these extra days to his workload. So to be able to kind of like scamper around with the general, with the guy who made it when yeah. you're, you know, you're not even a, a corporal. You're, I don't know what I was, a private. I was a, a you know, like a, a walk-on you know, Navy recruit that could barely swim or tread water. So to be around <laughs> him was, was pretty cool. Um, and just, you know, just soaking up the class that he has and the intelligence that he has and how he went about his craft and his passion was just amazing. And I still remember <clears throat> one moment after World Cup 98, because I, I was, I was still kind of very low on the totem pole there. I was gruntish. And my family, my parents, I was giving them a tour of ESPN and it was like late afternoon, early evening during the holidays. And I was like, all right, here's, you know, here's the newsroom and this is going on. And, th and these were a bunch of people that I didn't deal with because I was out doing, you know, games. I was kind of on the road, but. Right. I, and I it's a huge place, you know. And Bob Lee in the middle of the newsroom sees me and like barks across the newsroom so everybody can hear you know, my name and he's, and he's calling out my parents and telling them what a great job I've done and what a good kid I am and all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
Bobby's awesome. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like those Chris Farley Saturday Night Live interviews. Remember that time? Yeah. You in public? That was awesome. Thank you so much. So, you know, for moments like that, Bob is Bob is just a god for me. Yeah, I tell you, Rob, it's so funny because you know, when I met Bob, I had been on television already a bunch of, and been in a movie or two, but when I met him, I was just starstruck. It was like, you know, meeting George Clooney. I was like, you know, and he couldn't have been nicer. He was so humble that it was, uh, you know, I became friends with him later. So to watch how other people react to him. Um, I was having a beer with him down in Key West where, where he is now. And his back was turned to this, porch. this is before COVID, by the way. So his back is turned to this porch. And all of a sudden there's a table of like, I don't know, maybe eight college guys that hear just his voice. And they all get up and walk over to Bob. Like, you see, they didn't even see his face. They're like, that's Bob Lee's voice, this voice that we know. So it's great. So, you know, it's so funny, Rob. You know, you said uh, he called you a kid and now you're not. Uh, you know, we'd love someone to call us a kid now, but uh, it's gone fast, hasn't it? You, you've, you know, gone from being this grunt, as you said, to suddenly now the, the face of American soccer. It's, it's got to feel good. Well, I'm a face of American soccer. And I think mm -hmm. that's what makes me feel better is that there's more and more voices and faces and people that are, are trusted in this industry that cover this sport. And I, I think that's, that's pretty unique and, and cool because, you know, obviously that wasn't the case and there weren't many of us, you know, and, and now it's a growing army. It's not an army of one anymore. You know, it's this growing army um, and there's getting more and more crossover, which is really great. You know, Taylor Twelman's been able to do some crossover stuff. He's not just a mm -hmm. soccer guy. Um, I'm not just a soccer guy. And I think things like that, um, help. It also helps that, you know, there's some longevity. People have seen me and, and hopefully most of them will go, oh, soccer guy. Okay. All right. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in good hands. He's going to be able to handle this um, with the proper depth and coverage right. uh, and gravity that that's necessary rather than some, some guy who just got pulled out of hair and makeup or some, you know, woman who has no idea and is just using soccer as a stepping stone. Cause there's been a lot of those. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those, you know, those hurt to see, cause you know, it, you're like, you're not here for the hall. You're not, you're not preaching the gospel. Um, you're, you're taking that book and, and you're using it to your advantage for, for as brief a period as you can. And then you're moving on. So um, those are the people that I like, and I'm, I'm thrilled that there's more and more of us. Well, and the great thing to see is uh, that where you are now, you you will have influenced a lot of young people that are coming up now, and, and it's got to feel good. So we appreciate you being on the show today, Rob. And um, I know you're busy. You're heading off somewhere today. It's uh, And it's been fun to watch you do other sports as well. It, it really has been. And, you know, you mentioned sort of uh, when I was at ESPN, guys were in tennis that would like just try to do soccer just to get to NBA or try to get to yeah. NFL. And, you know, you were from the get-go, uh, a, a good, pure voice. So we appreciate you coming on Over the Ball. Keep up the good work and right. uh, keep, keep uh, yeah, singing the, uh, the praises of this beautiful game that we love so much. Rob Stone, thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, that was great. Love getting caught up with Rob, uh, Connecticut boy like myself. So uh, Simsbury, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's seen it all in the soccer world. Mm -hmm. He really has. So it was good to get caught up with him. Um, all right, Sam, what do you got for us this week as far as a uh, as a quiz? 
Yeah. Late at so, night with your number two pencil, just scratching things. Basically. Um, how am I going to stump the great Kevin Flynn? It's easy <laughs> well, to stump Grail, but well, Flynn. Exactly. Is... I was waiting for that shoe to drop. <laughs> so I always have a little story for how I get into this. So I uh, was watching the Barca PSG game, which I think we all saw a couple oh, yeah. of weeks ago now. Um, and I was reminded of how big the field looks at the Camp Nou, the physical field. Um, and I recalled someone telling me once that it was the biggest pitch dimension wise in Europe and maybe the world, which was why the team was built the way it was, you know, to play this, uh, you know, pass and move ticky talk yeah, yeah. and really Space. spread the field out. Um, but I never confirmed that. So I looked into it for a little bit. And so the first question is per the IFAB international football association board regulations, what are the minimum pitch dimensions in yards for an international match? Okay. I'm going to go 110 by 70. Cause I think 120 by 80 is the standard measurement for a pitch. Okay. This is minimum. Remember. Yeah. So I'm going okay. minimum yep. 110 by 70. So I'm taking 10 yards off each. Got it. I think Kevin, I think the width is a little, it's probably 75. So 110, 75, I would say. Okay. So it's actually 100 yards for the sideline by oh, 70 wow. yards for the goal line. That's the minimum. Uh, that's, that's the university of New Hampshire. That's what that was. Yeah. Yeah. What UVM are, played in that bandbox too. Yep. What are the maximum dimensions? I'm going to say 120 by 80. Kevin. 130 by 85. You can go bigger. Okay. It's actually 120 by 80. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so a 120 by 80 is the top, as, as big as it could be. That's surprising. the maximum. Surprising. And when you guys play on pitches like that, it, it, it feels like you're in a, just out into somebody's, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there is a big difference. So just yeah. to, to, you know, add it up, that's the difference of 7,000 square yards for the minimum versus 9,600 square yards for the maximum. It's a huge so difference, man. Quite yeah. a big difference. So um, that's for international matches for yeah. non-international matches. The disparity oh, that's where you is, screwed me up. That's where you screwed me up. Man. Oh, is nice even try. greater. So I won't do this as a quiz, but the minimum is a hundred by 50. Or 500 square yards, and the maximum is 130 by 100. There I was at the 130 by 100. That's absurd. That's like medieval soccer. Yeah, so you're you're playing with the skull of a person from the town next door. The entire village, the entire village is playing. (laughs) Uh, So okay, so I tried to figure out league by league what the pitch you know regulations were. I could only figure it out for the Premier League and Serie A because those are the only languages I can read. But what is the recommended pitch size um, for both the Premier League and the Serie A? It's the same number, Uh, and presumably all the other top leagues, even though. I cannot confirm it. I'm going with the mat. I'm going 120 by 80. I'm going by what the maximum allowed is. Yeah. I, why wouldn't you want that? I don't know. That's the desired, but I mean, a lot of these yeah. are old stadiums. So and they're, they're tight. They're built they're tight. tight yeah, but so, yeah. Um, so what's the question, Sam? What, the question is, what, is what's the, the recommendation? What's the recommended, like suggested pitch size for the Premier well, That's League all just opinion. That's tough to well. You know, uh, you know, already I'd say once. Yeah, the, the, well, the, the, the biggest would be the <laughs> opinion, I think, unless you can't do it because of your facility. Just so, take a, just make a pick. So <laughs> they kind of, they kind of have it. So the recommended size is 115 by 74. So it's somewhere oh, in the middle. Gosh. 74. Um, get out the protractor, Felicity. However, in both leagues, there is a stipulation that if your your stadium can't have a field that big, it doesn't have to be, it can be smaller. 
Um, okay. So the majority of pitches in the Premier League, I was able to find all the listings for the Premier League. Um, nice. Damn, they, man. They do match uh, the recommended size. Um, however, there is some disparity, which is interesting. So the biggest field, according to footballstadiums.co.uk, is Brighton, uh, Falmer Stadium, which is 115 by 75. And the smallest is Molyneux, which is Wolves. at Molyneux. Molyneux. Yep. 109 by 70. Um, so the difference in total square yards there is just about a thousand. So it's a pretty big difference Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you consider it. And uh, I, I, it's something I, I haven't thought about very much and find kind of interesting because I think it would really affect, you know, the, the way your sure. team plays. Um, Sam, can you look up um, maybe for the next show? The oh, thing like that wasn't enough research no, right no, no, there. No, no, no the itself. thing that's always rankled me about the uh, New York City FC playing at Yankee Stadium is the pitch to me looks like it's 80 by 40. Yeah, and I'm could, just curious if that's a depth perception issue that I can't get beyond because that pitch looks tiny. Yeah, yeah and it's at a weird angle too. So yes. yeah, you can look it up. Um, yeah, you can so, look it up. yeah, I wasn't I was a homework assignment. So, so uh, just to wrap it back up to go back to where it all started, according to the Barcelona website, the current size of the Camp New pitch is the recommended 115 by 74 yards. However, um, it does say that it was at one time downsized, although it doesn't say when that happened. When they uh, weren't playing well, maybe. And that, well, I found this on an article um, on medium.com. So I, I don't know if it's the full truth, but it claims it happened in 98 when new construction was uh, done and that it used to be 120 by 79, which uh, wow. is considerably bigger. And I believe yeah. uh, was the biggest in, in Europe at that but you time. You know what's interesting about that, Sam, is like most times when you talk about a stadium, you talk about the, the amount of it people that can attend it, you know, the, the fans, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how, how big, a, but that's very interesting because that really affects the game more than the fan base. I would. Well, I would yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. As someone who watches a lot of hockey and there is such a big difference between watching an NHL game and then you watch an international game and the rink's not yeah. that much bigger, but the game really changes. Well, there's a lot yeah. more room behind the goal. Yeah. So yeah. that makes a big, that makes a big difference, but with a, with a big size pitch, which I've played on at the uh, New York city FC pitch, Mm -hmm. um, you really notice it on corners. Mm -hmm. Like you're standing at the corner flag and you're like, oh my God, am I going to be able to get the ball actually to the box? Well, yeah, I mean, Ralph, I if think... you're standing behind the ball, the, the players can't see you. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, all of us who played in college, that I'm sure the disparity is much greater, right? Because you're playing yeah. on a field that's also being used for lacrosse or something and then versus yeah. someone who has like their own soccer field. Oh, every college was, was different. I mean, it was a, t a total... But it was never like something, said, but it was, you, I agree. It was different, but I never remember a coach saying, okay, this is a really narrow field. Therefore we have to do this. Well, or, so UVM, Sam, that. so UVM, yeah. University yeah. of Vermont played on inside their old football stadium, which was a hundred by I think 60. Mm -hmm. And they had this really big physical team and they yeah. absolutely adapted their style of play to that tiny mm. little yeah. pitch. And it yeah. was intimidating as hell to go in there. Yeah, we had the University of New Hampshire, yeah. Sam. You must have played against them, I think, at UMass. Yeah, I they, did, yeah. They, they, they brought their field, they made it as big as they could, but it was up against like a sort of a, lay, a river, mm -hmm. a small, like a little tributary and a fence. So, you know, you get flying into a tackle and by the yeah. sidelines, you go right into the fence. It was just, it, yeah. but they packed it in and they just sort of did a kick and run thing going yeah. until Noonan got there, of course. Then they actually started to play a little bit. So, yeah. all right, guys, uh, that's good stuff, Sam. I apologize for my co-host, Grail, uh, giving you a, an assignment no, after all, good. Good. No, all the research I could look into the MLS. It's interesting. No, that, that's on me, Sam. I'm going to right. come pack an info next time. 
So I do, I have some betting picks too, just to close out with. Okay. Uh, I'll just go over last week. I had Sassuolo to beat Bologna. They did not, they drew. So I got that wrong. I had Atalanta to beat Napoli and both teams to score. That did happen. So I was one for two. Uh, I also sort of threw out as an outlier, Milan to beat Inter in the derby. That I knew that was a long shot and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week I'm going uh, Roma to beat Milan and both teams to score. That's 3.8 to one. And I like Lazio to beat Bologna on the road at 2.05 to 1. Mm-hmm. Syria, ah, action there. Uh, Grail, what do you got? Um, what are you I watching have this no- weekend? I, well, I, it, I'm just going to hang out this weekend. I don't even know if I'm going to watch. Uh, I may do. Sam, didn't you take a weekend off once? I've taken a few, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm so exhausted after like Champions League weeks. That uh, I, 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 I may duck yeah. into a match or two. Introduce I, yourself to your son again, perhaps. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> if he call, if he calls me Grant, I know it's yeah. going to be a problem. Uncle Grail, where were you? Yeah, yes. oh, wow, I was, I was in the den watching TV. Yeah. All right, guys, good stuff. Sam, good uh, good quiz, um, and uh, great interview with Rob Stone. So I've, yeah. I've enjoyed that. Thanks to Rob uh, for joining us on Over the Ball for Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.